Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Girl, I wanna be your goddamn idol And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard For the same motherfucking title But I Welcome back, prom party. E.T. finger touches. <laughs> Brian Duffield loves an E.T. finger touch. I mean, it's it's one of those things that you just feel compelled to sort of do. It's kind of like how you and I constantly do the Hey Arnold, like, woo-woo thing. Yeah, that's very true. It's just, it's in it's a part of your, like, upbringing, your DNA, and you just feel compelled. It's just part of my soul. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, we are knee deep in spooky season, my favorite time of the year, where we talk about all of the fun teen horror movies there are and think all that is haunted and holy, there are a lot of them. It was fun trying to narrow down what we were going to do this month. Like, we have we have some fun shit there. I'm I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely am too, and I'm very excited to talk about today's movie. We are talking about The Babysitter, and friends, we are not alone today. We are joined by entertainer, host, just all-around really fucking rad human being, Zero Gravity. Hi, Zero. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, I've definitely been a fan of your work for quite a while. And when Spooky Season was rolling around, we're like, who do we want to have come on? I was like, you know what? I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to finally get Zero to come on the show. Yes. You guys don't even know. I was so thrilled when I got your DM. (laughs) (gasps) Me? Really? (laughs) I mean, once you've played Among Us together on live in front of a bunch of people, I feel like we're bonded for life. Oh, yeah, that's a different level. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go on a, like an, on an acid trip with somebody, you're inseparable. After that, after you cross the Among Us threshold, it's above and beyond. <laughs> so as a tradition, I asked Zero to give us a couple of options for a movie. And when you said The Babysitter, I was so excited. Uh, Brian Duffield's one of my favorite screenwriters. The Babysitter is one of my favorite movies that has come out in recent years. I'm so excited to gush about it. But what is it about this movie that made you want to talk about it? It's so stupid. Like, in the best way. (laughs) (laughs) It's so stupid. Um, It's really, like, surface level, easy to digest, which I love, um, and doesn't take itself seriously. Um, Those are always the movies that I gravitate to towards um because maybe because i can't take myself seriously um but in those ways i'm able to like have the most fun when i'm watching something um and this movie is so dumb like i didn't have to think at all it was just (laughs) fun (laughs) beautiful so harmony i honestly can't remember 
What was your introduction to the babysitter? Uh, 2017 was the year that I got Netflix. (laughs) Oh, okay. The year this came out uh, was actually the year they started doing a whole lot of horror stuff, and we'll get into that in a hot sec. Uh, Yeah, I was immediately drawn in. This was my introduction to Samara Weaving, and she's just the best, and I love her and everything. So, like, yeah, (laughs) I've been a fan of this movie since, like, day one of its release. (laughs) Killer. Yeah, this was one of my first, like, ooh, I got a screener from Netflix. I feel so special uh, kind of movies. And I, I'm with you, Zero. I was <laughs> very relieved at how dumb it is. And I don't think, like, it's dumb in a negative way. I feel like... I feel like the babysitter is like the bimbo of slasher films where it's like, you're kind of dumb, but I love that about mm-hmm. you. <laughs> I think bimbo is, like, a really good... Subgenre, <laughs> I guess, yes. to, to throw this in the the bimboification of horror. Love that. Oh my shit. god! Yes, absolutely. And of course, like in case there are there are new listeners out here, like we do not use the word bimbo as an insult on this show. Like that oh, is no. a that is a title that is glorious. <laughs> so for anyone who might not have seen the Babysitter, if you had to sum up what this movie is about, what is this movie about? Ooh, what it feels like to go through puberty, I guess. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Just screaming and bloody and dumb and full of hormones and MTV style uh, <laughs> flashes before your eyes. Yo, yes. <laughs> Just being intoxicatingly drawn to older women. That too. That too. That, that, that was my puberty. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that just comes with the territory of any movie that has to deal with a babysitter. Like regardless of genre, I feel like there's always like that weird undertone of I think I have a crush on my babysitter, and I love that this movie fully goes there with it. It's mm-hmm. it's just wonderful. I can't wait to get into it. Um, but before we dissect it, we do want to add like a little context. So this movie came out in 2017, which is not that long ago, but at the same time, uh, uh, the way that the world is evolving right now, a lot has changed since 2017. Uh, So Harmony, what kind of context can you bring to the table about what was going on when The Babysitter came out? Yeah, so um, Netflix was pretty firmly in their their goal to push forward with with more original content, either stuff that they were producing themselves or that they were signing to distribute through Netflix. And 2017 is a really fun year specifically for horror because the previous year, like the second half of the previous year, Stranger Things was released. And I think if you just want to point like a big old finger at that, it got really, really popular to do like fun horror movies or at the very least like Netflix liked the idea of hey, we have this huge property, arguably the biggest show in the world. We want it to end and then have like three films in like the bottom of the screen crawl up and go, hey, because you watched that thing, maybe you'll like this. And it makes total sense for them to grab like the babysitter as as like a, a nice clean transition from watching Stranger Things to that. But it wasn't simply like teen horror. This is when they also announced that they were adapting a, uh, a number of Stephen King stories. So there was just this big push in like the streaming wars to grab a hold of horror properties um, for a number of reasons. Uh, Cost effective is probably one of the biggest ones, but this is also the year after like Shutter launched. So 
they like it was a really really exciting time for streaming horror movies. I'm really glad that you brought all of that up because I think th- around this time period is when we're also starting to get legitimacy to direct to streaming films like Mm -hmm. for a very long period of time if something went straight to dvd or straight to vod that was seen as like a curse that was a death sentence oh that must be absolute shit if it went straight to streaming oh they're dumping it on streaming and around like 2015 through 2017 i think that's when the conversation shifted and now it's almost seen as a good thing sometimes when it goes direct to streaming. They're like, we're trying mm-hmm. to get as many eyes on this as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think The Babysitter is one of those films that absolutely benefited from going to direct to streaming. So, like, Zero, how do you think this movie would have done if it would have gotten, like, a theatrical, like a, like a formal theatrical? Mm, I was just going to say, if I... You know, in movie tickets nowadays, they're not cheap. So if I were to pay, <laughs> let's say, like... Mm, 19 bucks plus another seven for popcorn to go and see this movie i think i'd be pissed (laughs) (laughs) but you know since i watched it essentially what feels like for free you know um and able to take it as face value the stakes are always so much higher in the theater you know oh yeah um and i don't hold it against the movie kind of if it's not good you're like you made me waste my time driving here and paying for it drove over here eight bucks for like three pieces of popcorn (laughs) my sunday is gone yeah um i'm one of those people who loves bad movies which is Mm -hmm. why i don't really like calling myself a film critic um because some of my takes are bad i guess by (laughs) i don't know criterion standards um but i i think the the vast majority of people if they were to purchase a movie ticket to see this movie i think that they would have left the theater upset just because of how goofy it is yeah and also like because of the way theaters are going and because they're getting expensive um i feel like people are feeling like they should get more bang for their buck. Um, So movies are getting longer. Like, I say it all the time on the podcast where I'm like, oh my god, this movie is a blissful 90 minutes. Not because I can't sit through, like, a longer movie, but sometimes it's just refreshing after movies, like, two hours is, like, becoming closer to the standard. So the fact that The Babysitter is, like, 85 minutes with credits, like, that is a, like, a quick watch. It's just get in, have a good time, get out. Like, that's, that is a good, like, popcorn movie at home for movie night. I I love that. And I think, uh, adding to it, I think people would be mad at how short it is if they actually, like, it, 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 the, the process of going to the theater, getting your stuff, watching the previews, and then, like, going home would be almost as long as the movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that The Babysitter is... It falls under one of my favorite subgenres of film, which is the fuck off movie, which is a movie (laughs) that you can put on. You can kind of fuck off. Like if you want to like scroll a little bit on Twitter, obviously like not in a theater. Don't be on your phone in the theater. But if you're at home and you're just like, I want to share a meme about this movie while I'm watching it. Like, you're not going to miss anything. If you're watching it with a group of friends and you're all, like, having a couple drinks or you're talking or whatever, you can still have an enjoyable time with this movie because it is so goofy. It is so vibrant and in your face that you're not going to miss anything. And we are losing the art of the fuck-off movie. (laughs) Yo. (laughs) It's a dying art. I love that. I'm going to steal that. I, I need to make a list of my favorite fuck off movies. 
Yes. And like, again, like this isn't an insult. We're not saying this is a bad thing. Like, fuck off movies are so vital. Like if you have a bunch of friends over and it's like, oh, let's put on a scary movie while we're all hanging out. You don't want to be like, mm, let's put on the new Suspiria and sit in silence. Oh and, my God. <laughs> and like, I love the movie. Don't get me wrong. Like there is always, a, but there's a time and a place for everything. And like, I'm sorry. Like the new Suspiria is an art house film. I'm not watching that at a party. I'm watching the babysitter at a party. Mm-hmm. So before we get in too much deeper, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag this ends at prom or at this ends at prom. As we enter into spooky season, I know that you must be dying for more of Harmony and I to talk about all things horror. Well, you can do that. Get yourself a subscription to Shudder. It is like Netflix for horror movies, but so much better and way cheaper. It is the best time to get it, the reason for the season, especially because Harmony and I are both featured in Queer for Fear, The History of Queer Horror. It is a new docu-series from Brian Fuller of Hannibal fame, and it is all about the history of queer horror. Check us and so many brilliant, wonderful minds and some of your absolute favorites. You're all going to freak out and scream when you see some of the people in this doc, I swear. But it is released on Shudder every week. Give it a look. Alrighty, so let's kick things off by talking about Samara Weaving's character of B. So Zero, how do you feel about this character? Um, you know, I, I don't, I can't, I don't want to say that I dislike her character. Um, she was the reason why I even clicked on this movie, cause fuck yeah, Samara Weaving, um, rooting for her. But her character, I don't think really did much i think her her character was like just the center and the reason i guess mm -hmm. um who just happened to be like super hot and super evil and a little a little conniving you know um <laughs> but for me it was like all the 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 minor parts um the kills and then the kid um what's his name something that oh uh cole oh cole cole oh there we oh, go sound cole. <laughs> <laughs> um but, you know, I got what I came for, which is Samara Weaving being a badass, um, not in the, on the right side of the fight, obviously. Oh, again, <laughs> which I think I think right after this, I just hit this with a double feature with um, the other one where she's a bad guy with Daniel Radcliffe, Guns Akimbo. Oh. That one. Yeah. So I was on like a like, I guess, a fuck off movie binge. Um, so I wanted <laughs> that from her. And that's exactly what she gave me. Um, I can't sit here and be like, mm, there is no character development because I don't think that was the point of this movie at all. 
Mm -hmm. But, you know, I could take her face value and I'm a big fan of her and she delivered. So I'm good. Beautiful. Harmony, how about you? How do you feel about B? Uh, I, well, first of all, the stretch that Samara Weaving had where she did Mayhem, The Babysitter, Guns Akimbo, and Ready or Not pretty much back to back with each other. What an unbelievable mm, stretch of fun I movies. about Mayhem. That movie yeah. rocked too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's the coolest. She is. Uh, but I, as far as this character is concerned, like, I think there's this sort of thing they loosely touch on in like the climax of the movie where she does essentially this evil Necronomicon ritual thing because she was not powerful and she wants to be powerful. So I think she was maybe a dorky kid and got made fun of growing up like how Cole probably did. That maybe that's why they kind of get along aside from him obviously being a blood bank. But mm-hmm. I, I think that this character comes at a very interesting time for me in that Right at this period of like 2017 is we're like hitting the apex of when it was still a little bit underground to be dorky and talk about science fiction and superhero movies. And they're like they watch Billy Jack, which is like a karate cowboy movie from like 1970 or something. And that's just the fun they do. And like that's extremely common now, but it was it was it didn't feel like it was quite as mainstream as it has gotten in like the five years sense um i think maybe the accessibility of streaming has a little bit to do with that but yeah i i I think that this character reads a little bit less exciting like she she was a lot more interesting like five years ago for me in that this wasn't a character you saw quite as often as you see it now where it's like hey everyone girls can be nerds too (laughs) ha ha like we get that a lot more (laughs) these days so I, I think she's interesting, especially for, like, the period that this came out in. Because I think it was finished um, in 2015 and then didn't get picked up until two years later. I think that's right. If I'm wrong, somebody can call me out on it when Horror they fans do. reply, as, as they <laughs> rightfully will. Um, no, I think that that's a really good point, though, because... I remember when I first saw The Babysitter, I had one of those, like, ooh, kindred spirit moments of... You are like she's very high femme, but knows a lot about like alien movies. And they have that whole conversation in the kitchen about like, how would you defeat, you know, the the master baddie alien? And she's, you know, referencing all of these different sci fi properties. And it's it was really exciting for me to be like, oh, this is this is cool. Like, I, I get that character. But I think you're right, because now that character itself has become an archetype of like the hot girl who happens to know about geeky things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting to see how that has changed in just that five-year period. But then at the same time, there's also this like underlying thing of, does she even care about any of this? Or is this the manipulation tactic to be able to befriend these little awkward boys that she's then going to use as a faucet for her satanic rituals because she knows this is what they're into? And there's no real way for us to know like her true intention, which I think is kind of cool. But then at the same time, it's like, cool, now we're feeding into like all of like the bullshit that like incels and gamer gators like to say about anybody who is not a cis man that's into this sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the sequel. Maybe we got answers in that one. They're making a third one. Maybe we'll get answers in that one. But no as of right way. now, I have <laughs> no idea any of the things that you're like up in the air about. I can't say. I'm sorry. I love this movie. I thought it was great. I actually, the first time that I, and like here, these are my, uh, my, my air quotations. The first time I saw 
this film, The Babysitter, was actually my second time seeing it. It was just <laughs> so much of it. And now, now I understand because of uh, the, the fuck-off flick. Mm -hmm. um, it was so much of a fuck-off flick that I think I just completely fucked off. So I want to say a third of the way through, I was like, wait a minute. I've seen this movie before. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. Hey, so tell me, how's the folks? Better, I think. Hotel therapy's working? <laughs> no, come on, it's great. I mean, they're happy. We get to hang out. And I get paid. I'm like your little Protestant. <laughs> what? Because I got, I have to pay you to hang out with me. Are you trying to say prostitute? Oh my god, no, that would make me the prostitute and your parents the client. That is a terrible analogy. That is the worst one ever. Oh. Besides, I'd want to hang out with you either way. Really? 100%. I mean, I got, what, two years tops before you're too cool to hang out with me? I'll never be too cool. So B is obviously the titular babysitter, but she has to have a kid to babysit. And that comes in the form of Cole. Zero, how do you feel about Cole? Um, Cole's a little dork. Um, I think they could have chose a dorkier kid for Cole. He, I didn't buy it. You know? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't at all. There was no, I mean, not me gatekeeping dorkiness. <laughs> but I didn't see like a, a legitimate reason for him to be the outcast, maybe other than the fact that he was a little shy um, or his parents were kind of smothery, which is definitely embarrassing at that age when he's 12. So he's probably in middle school, a very impressionable time. Um, yeah, I mean, I liked his his little his little growth. Um, I think for me, he had a lot of the great one liners um, that made me chuckle just remembering how I felt being clueless and young. Um, the orgy comment took me out. Something that sad <laughs> people do. Um, but yeah, Cole's all right. Cole's all right. Harmony, how about you? I feel like they gave this kid glasses in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, and then he doesn't wear glasses for the rest of the movie because he was, like, in bed, I guess. But it's like, no, it's shorthand. You know he's a dork. He's wearing glasses. And they're, like, I'm thick rim screaming. glasses. Can't you tell? <laughs> Yeah. This guy sits at the peanut allergy table. Just look at the size of his glasses. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like for real though, he's totally the kid who would just be like, "Oh, peanuts are a little dangerous." Like he do he doesn't live <laughs> dangerously, as it were, and like that's kind of, I guess, what makes him the unlikely hero. But I love that he has these dorky little traits of being like, "Oh, hey, it's cute. You're still cutting the rope, even though we can see you." <laughs> <laughs> or he knows police codes because he's a dork and that's just what he does and wants to grow up to be a cop, which, oh, this sweet kid in the suburbs does not know what that means. <laughs> so yes. he's Cole's fine. I, I think he is a cute, nerdy kid who did a lot of growing up in one night. I'm so glad that we're all on the same page of like kind of gatekeeping nerdiness from this kid because you see him for the first time and you're like, oh, you're a kid who does a Justin Bieber cover on YouTube and goes viral and gets a record deal. Like, that's, that's who this kid is. And then like, especially when you like have him against Jeremy, like his little bully at school. So like Jeremy is just like pure charisma. I get why he's a bully, but Jeremy's little, like his little uh, henchmen 
are way nerdier and like way weirder. Mm -hmm. Like those are the kids that like would have gotten bullied. Like Cole's a cute kid. He's he's a cute kid with good hair. Like mm, I don't I don't trust them picking out this kid. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't buy it one bit. I'm sorry. I'm here for I'm here for the fun of it, but I'm not buying it. (laughs) Well, you can tell he's a cute kid. His best friend's a girl. That's true. And speaking of, like, I, because she doesn't get a whole lot to do in it, but I do love that the best friend, uh, Melanie, she's played by Emily Allen Lind. Emily Allen Lind is, like, so cute and tiny in this movie. And then she goes on to be, like, Snakebite in, in Dr. Sleep. Um, both of her little sisters and her mom are the family on the Chucky series. So she is kind of part of, like, horror royalty now, which is kind of cool. Um, and it's, it's just like, oh, you're so little. Look at you. Um, but yeah, his best friend's a girl and, you know, that that's how you know he's a little different. But I guess that's, like, credit to Judah Lewis, the uh, the actor who plays Cole. It's like, yeah, you're a little too a little too handsome <laughs> and a little too cool, in my opinion, to be targeted by bullies. Yeah, but speaking <laughs> of him being, like, a cute kid, why is he getting driving lessons at 12, yeah, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> that must know. be a suburban, white suburban neighborhood kind of thing. No way. I, yeah. I think this is this dad's way of just being like, I don't know how to bond with my kid. So this is his version of being like, come on, son, let's go play catch in the front yard. Yo, <laughs> I I can't. I know those parents. I, I mean, not my parents. My parents are mad show. But I know those parents try desperately to relate to their kid. And then it makes... Well, I mean, I guess that that could be a reason. I remember when I was in middle school, um, I was friends with this girl, Victoria, and her dad was like a history buff. And uh, we would, I, I there's the bomb. I used to be a cheerleader and we would go uh, over to hers because he had a pool after cheer practice. Mm-hmm. And um, he would just be there. And the default was, oh, we're going to get a history lesson from Mr. I forget their last name, but it killed her. It literally, I would watch her face go white and she can't even say dad stop because then it makes it worse. And it was like the worst (laughs) thing ever. After a while, she just kind of stopped inviting us over because her parents were so insufferable. Just trying to be nice and kind. But, you know, when you're 12 or of middle school and high school age, embarrassing parents can crucify you. And I, I did get that vibe from his parents. I think they, they definitely, like, babied him, mm-hmm. you know, encouraged him to have a babysitter and, you know, kind of wee-wee-woo, pinching the cheeks kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. And Cole's parents are played by two wonderful character actors, Leslie Bibb and Ken Marino, um, who I both love whenever they pop up in things because they're they're great actors to show up to give like three lines and then peace out for the rest of the movie, which is pretty much what they do. Uh, they show up, they establish that they are, you know, kind of babying their kid. They also, I don't think, know how to connect with him at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely think that, like, they're supportive in the sense that, like, oh, our kid's into sci-fi, we'll let him decorate his entire room with, like, space, and it is the most, like intricate space bedroom I've ever seen in my life. But also they're going to be like, hey, stop making like tinker toy, uh, like uh, remote control cars in the kitchen with a knife. Go make friends. You look lonely. (laughs) Um, So like that's good. But then at the same time, like the parents do get to have their own personality is like the reason that he needs the babysitter is 
because they're going off for the weekend to have sex with each other um, <laughs> and try. I guess I guess Cole's aware that his parents' marriage is like not doing great, but you do get that wonderful scene where she's reading while giving a hand job and not paying attention at all. The and it's like a saddest hand job. <laughs> it's the saddest hand job you've ever seen, and it's like okay, yeah, I kind of get why he's. Their mom and dad are going through some shit. Maybe this is why Cole's a little weird. Mm. Uh, the only so worst, or the only even more sad hand job I've seen. I don't know if y'all watch Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, that one was, I think, even more sad. <laughs> <laughs> there is there anything worse? Obviously, not counting like actual trauma, like in terrible things. But, like, is there anything worse than like a sad hand job? Like, oh, it's just the worst to see. I don't know, man. It's up there. I'm you pretty f- sure that that's a Cards Against Humanity card for a reason. Is yeah, it really? It can be. I think it is. Either it is or it's one of those blank cards and I wrote it in there because it felt appropriate. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> but I've definitely played that game and used a sad hand job card before. <laughs> oh. But like speaking of like Cole's space room, um Cole's house, it's decorated like a 90s sitcom house in terms of like its ridiculous colors. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Like, every room in this house is, like, blasted with color. And I think that that is uh, a testament to, like, McGee as a director. Because, so this is written by Brian Duffield, who did Love and Monsters and Spontaneous and Underwater and, like, a ton of, like, really great stuff. And it's directed by McGee. McGee, in the film world, directed, like, Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. But he broke onto the scene as a music video director and he did the pretty fly for a white guy video for the offspring. He did all star <laughs> for smash mouth. What? So like he's playing with like vibrant nineties colors uh-huh. and like, that is what this house looks like. It looks like a music video set from the nineties. So I knew that the Pretty Fly video and the All-Star video were directed by the same guy because they look very similar. I did not realize it's the guy who directed this movie. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty fun. Did you know he also helped write uh, some songs for Sugar Ray? Because that's a thing. Yo. You know what? Get paid. (laughs) I could tolerate Mark McGrath for a paycheck. (laughs) Yeah, so like this movie is super, super stylized, which I think adds to its like, bimbo fuck off movie like appeal because you randomly will get like graphics on on the frame where it's like you know making lists or like big font like when Cole sees the the sacrifice happening and like what the fuck goes over his face it's just very very stylized which I think should be the indicator to the audience like hey don't take this too seriously But if you read reviews of this movie, it's like it's very clear, like the girls who get it, get it. And those who don't, don't, because there were some people that were like, I just didn't understand it. I didn't find it funny, nor did I find it scary. And I'm like, I don't know if you're supposed to think like, I don't think it's that deep when it comes to this movie. (laughs) It's not that deep, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it definitely can be. Like, you can assess it if you want, but in no way do I think, like, they wrote the script and they were like, there's a really important takeaway here about the importance of friendship and believing in yourself and blah, blah. Like, I don't think that's a thing. I think Brian Duffield was like, the script is real fun. That's it. (laughs) Oh, God. I only signed up for this dumb shit. So I could have my dream job, and instead, what do I have now, huh? 
goodness. One deflated, ugly boob. Oh, my life is basically over. Oh. I, I mean, you're still super hot. What kind of job do you want? A journalist. See, that's perfect, because you're super smart, and you're hot and really driven. Thank you. I could be wrong, but I don't think it would be hard for you to have a cool life. Lily, you think so? You think maybe we could just walk out of this whole thing and we could just call the police and just, you know, forget this ever happened? Yeah. Exactly. Do you think I give a fuck what you're talking about? Speaking of fun, though, I want to talk about B's little crew of, uh, of, of satanic friends here because they are a trip and a half. Um, I don't even know who to start with. Let's start with Sacrifice Samuel because he isn't here very long. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a little Sacrifice Samuel. He is kind of your de facto, like, this kid, I believe, is a nerd. For mm-hmm. sure. I was just gonna say that. I believe that. Now that's good casting. But don't tell me that the little the little boy with the with the J Beebs bowl and the cute <laughs> little cheeks. That guy, Sacrifice Samuel, he got the look. It's it's the combination of the hair and the, the collar, I think. His shirt screamed dork to me. Oh yeah. And he's definitely got like he's real like honestly, like that actor probably has like a six pack underneath there, but they put him in like the baggier shirt so that it makes him look really lanky. It's like every kid that was who like got a little bit too tall junior year of high school and like didn't have the ability to buy a whole new wardrobe. So it's like, well, I guess I'm just gonna wear these shirts that are way too big for me because I'm mm. seventeen and we're not gonna invest in a tailor for this shirt. Uh, <laughs> So I'm, I'm looking at this kid. Uh, I say kid. He's probably like my age. Um, I'm looking at him on IMDb for the photos they have posted for him. And you know what? He still looks like a huge dork, but he looks like a dork who's in an indie band when he's not Ooh. dorked up for this movie. <laughs> like He looks like he really likes, I don't know, Franz Ferdinand or perhaps a more contemporary option that I don't know. <laughs> yeah so sacrifice samuel i mean he is so out of place from the beginning with this group because he's a dork and he's awkward and he doesn't know any of them but i will say i think that if there is any moment in this entire movie that like has some serious weight to it it's his reaction after he gets kissed by b the look on this guy's face I'm like, I think that he had one of those kisses where like you kiss someone and you're like, I think I've seen the face of God. Like he looks <laughs> so just enraptured, like, oh my God, I can't believe she kissed me. And it is so sincere and so genuine and you really believe it. And then he immediately gets two blades to the skull mm. <laughs> and just the the blood. The blood is everywhere. Oh it's like man, a- it's the blood. Like it's, it's off to the races the second that the blood just goes exploding out of his head. (laughs) Like this movie goes, okay, so this is the ceiling that we're looking at here. And um, hold on tight. We're going for a ride. (laughs) (laughs) So next character in this lineup we got to talk about is Bella Thorne. I know her character is named Allison, but like it's Bella Thorne. I'm just going to call her Bella Thorne for the rest of the Mm. episode. Zero, how do you feel about... (laughs) about this character so glad you said that because i'm looking at my notes right now and i literally put 
is playing herself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this puts me in a weird place because I was just here with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies with Pete Davidson. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, you're you're playing yourself. Um, And does that make it a good performance because you're really pissing me off and that's what the character calls for? (laughs) Or are you just kind of annoying? Um, uh, What's her name? Bella Thorne's character, Allison, though, I think might be... Actually, no, I lied. She's not my favorite. Maybe a close second. Um, I love that she's just the materialistic archetype. Um, So when you think... Well, when I think teen movie i you have the archetypes right you have the Mm -hmm. nerdy guy and you have um the preppy girl who usually doubles as the cheerleader you have the quarterback jock etc and everyone did a great job of being like very well within that archetype Mm -hmm. which is i mean doesn't really happen in real life but just adds to the surface level goofiness of this shit um and so she was like peak i want to say 80s cheerleader just kind of bouncy all over the place very um like removed from everything which is my favorite part because she's doesn't really seem to understand what she's gotten herself into um but so good so good I, I was a cheerleader in high school, and I, I loved it to death, everything about the experience. <laughs> um, so I could laugh a little bit extra at this. Um, I don't think I would vouch to go, you know, have a beer with Bella Thorne or Allison. Um, but as far as watching on stage, so or on stage, on the screen, was very good. I, I had a kick. <laughs> Harmony, how about you? I... Here's the thing. As a person, I think Bella Thorne's like a menace (laughs) and I don't like her. That said, she's really good at being like herself in movies. (laughs) Like, because I imagine that this movie is exactly what she's like in real life. I imagine the cheerleader she plays in Assassination Nation is exactly what she's like in real life. I imagine that she's precise, like as the influencer type character she plays in Infamous. I think that that's probably is what she is. Like she's typecasted as just being really unpleasant, but I really like it when she's in movies being unpleasant, especially if she gets her comeuppance. <laughs> so she's so good at it. Yeah, she's like so good at being a. She gets great heel heat. Like I know she's awful, but like I I love like. She gets she gets shot in the boob in this, and then it's just jokes about how she's gonna be like all lopsided and have like yeah, a, a who one wants sad to boob. These? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And then that's like the perfect reaction from King Bach, who I I love seeing him in this. I think he is so much fun, and he, mind you, he got casted in this when Vine was still a thing. Uh, just bless. I am delighted Vine by every that. R.I.P. <laughs> Vine. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right, though, with, like, Bella Thorne is so good at playing this type of character, and, like, we can have our opinions on what she does off screen in terms of, like, her whole OnlyFans debacle. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what that is, Google it, you'll have a bad time. But, like, she is, like, no one plays this character better than her. Like, sincerely, no one does. She's so good and really funny and really leans into kind of that insufferable character, which is why I think 
the big reveal of like her wanting to be like, you know, sacrificing to Satan and stuff so that she can be a journalist gets such a huge laugh from me every single time because in no way is that the direction that you think that that character is going to go into. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, if she was like, I wanted to be a YouTube star, I want to be an influencer, I want to be a model, whatever, you'd believe that. But when she's like, a journalist. A journalist. <laughs> like, You're at like, the very least, what? like, this would be maybe like a drop dead gorgeous or a mean girls where it's like, oh, she wants to be a weather girl or something like that. But like, a journalist is like so much more involved. And yes, it's like a, a hard turn that I think is just great, especially because Cole is like trying to comfort her and then she's just like fuck you to his face (laughs) yeah she has she does have some great lines especially the stuff about her boobs they're really really funny but like yeah king bach like going going at her um i'm glad you brought up the vine thing because this to me is one of the earliest examples of sort of like we're casting a a social media star in a movie Mm -hmm. and like Half of it works for me, and then there's another half of it where I'm like, I feel like they just let him go and like make up his, a lot of his own dialogue. And some of it really works, and some of it I don't. So zero, how do you feel about it? <laughs> I think Carrie would look better if she was black. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good line, though. <laughs> that, that shit is so good. Um, this was a little interesting for me. I I can't stand this man. I mean, I want him to get his bag. I really do. But I think he's so annoying. And he was he was very funny at first when, when Vine was was that girl and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Vine died, right? And I think he went to YouTube, was his like primary uh, mm-hmm. platform, and got re- super known for just being like really loud, um, which is an archetype that we have already seen with Kevin Hart. And I think we're all a little oh. bit over it. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Are you really mm-hmm. funny or are you just loud? Kevin Hart is anti-hype for me seeing a movie. I will actively avoid movies he's in. Mm, And I don't want to be, like, spreading bad juju in the air or anything, but, like, get some funny jokes or that might turn into him. (laughs) I don't know. But I felt different this time, though. Um, I actually did enjoy his performance. Um, It was toned the fuck down compared Mm. to the rest of his content, which really pisses me off. Just screaming, like... Maybe when I was in high school, it was funny, just being loud and obnoxious. Um, But I appreciate a good one-liner. And he definitely had the one-liners in this one. Um, Yeah, I can't complain. So the one time I actually let this sit, and I was like, oh, okay, this is is pretty good. I'm I'm pleased with his cap, with the casting. Um, I thought his performance was great um, enough. I mean, everyone was the comedic relief, but Mm -hmm. he had a little something. Um, but not enough to, uh, not his usual route of of humor, the the obnoxious part. So I was happy. I was surprised that I did feel that way because I remember my first watch. I'm like, oh, this guy, here we go again. He's about to scream and be stupid, and we're all supposed to laugh. But I was I was pleasantly surprised. So this was a good a a good internet casting. Can't say they all are, but this one was. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It is a very very hit or miss, often miss. With the internet casting. And I'm glad that you pointed out that, like, this is so much more restrained than his usual content. We Mm -hmm. saw that last year with the movie Vacation Friends, where he is just, like, 
a side character. He's like the brother-in-law of Lil Rel Howery, and he's really restrained and mm-hmm. like real pulled back and almost stoic. And it's almost funny watching him because you're expecting him to blow, and like he doesn't. He's like very kind of chill. Um, I think that this movie does a good job of like knowing when to let him just kind of like go off. Like when he is doing the motorboat stuff at Bella Thorne, like I just lose it because it, it's a joke that <laughs> I don't know why it's there, but I'm glad he's doing it because it's funny. Um, but, but it's yeah. Like the joke ends. Yes, yeah. it ends. Like, yes. Ends. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wonder if like, okay, so I don't realize like quite what his like normal persona is because I only came to Vine after Vine was dead. <laughs> Like, yeah, when BJ- I showed you YouTube compilations of yes. Vines with chaotic energy. Yeah, so BJ got me into Vines because it w- it had unfortunately died. It's it's premature death, and so I get, like, the highlights, like, the cream of the crop of Vines. So, like, mm. I got King Bach, like, in, like, his best Vines, not, like, an excessive amount of them, and then never really followed him on YouTube. So then I just mm. see him pop up in, like, movies and shows occasionally and go, oh, no, I really like him, and I just love that this is, like, that backflip guy though like i like seeing him progress from that so i'm wondering if that like the boater the motorboating joke ends i'm wondering if like the reason i love him so much is because like i saw him in a vine comp and then moved on seven seconds later and so i'm just getting like these micro doses of him for his whole career and have not gotten (laughs) sick of him like maybe the way you have zero yeah i think very valid because he is a funny dude but, yeah, I think you missed the yeah. insufferable period of him because the best thing that Vine did is it limited a lot of these like creators because you only had seven seconds. So mm-hmm. your joke had to end. You had to get it in there in seven seconds and get out. Once they all pivoted to YouTube, like then you had jokes that went on for way too goddamn long because they didn't have mm-hmm. time limitations anymore. So mm-hmm. I think that's why the movie works for him because again, it like puts a limitation of like you say your line and then we got to move on. Like we oh, can't drag it- this out. If he's going too long, then the person in the editing room goes, okay, and we're done here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So speaking of just like, I don't know, like volume, uh, I want to talk about Hannah Mae Lee as Sonia. So this is uh, her second appearance on the show, because if those that don't know, the like creepy goth girl in this movie is the girl in Pitch Perfect who doesn't speak very loud, but when she does speak, she's saying some very disturbing shit uh and this is a movie that you know she gets to talk in and she gets to be creepy and weird uh so zero how do you feel about sonia um this is the one character i would have liked a little bit more from Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i i haven't seen pitch perfect um i mean but that's cool that she got a little bit of an upgrade in terms of speaking roles um i mean i thought her character was cool because shallow old me just automatically gravitates towards the goth girl (laughs) um but yeah i mean i liked her whole sequence in the crawl space i mean obviously you're gonna put the the goth girl who's like totally okay with tarantulas in the crawl space to have her her arc moment um yeah i have no qualms with her at all i i do wish that there would have been a little bit more Uh Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think that she could have had a little bit more to do. I think that character is so interesting. And I love when 
you know, if, if we're going with like the archetypes, like all of these characters do sort of fit in like a breakfast club sort of way. And she's mm. clearly like she's the basket case, so to speak. Um, I love like how <laughs> creepily into the sacrifice she is because it's just like and sometimes she's she's not even like the attention of the scene like she's not the focal point she's just in the background like doing weird shit <laughs> and I love characters that do that uh, Harmony how about you? Yeah, I mean, I she is the one that I think we get the least of out of this uh, group of friends. Uh, like, unfortunately, she's not as like loud and like commanding as the guys are in this uh, in this friend group, or I guess maybe just ritual circle. They might not be friends. I don't want to assume. But um, Bella Thorne and I don't know whatever Samara Weaving's character is. B. That's it. Um, I think that they get more time to shine just because they make it to the end of the movie. She unfortunately mm-hmm. dies second out of all of them. So yeah, she just doesn't, she doesn't get her moment. She doesn't have uh, as much to work with, but like, I think she's great. I love seeing her pop up in lots of little things that she does, especially since I think Pitch Perfect's not very great and she's fine, but they didn't do enough with her in that either. So, yeah, her going into a weirdly infested crawl space with tarantulas, because I'm, like, Googling while we're watching it, because it's a fuck-off film. You can do that. I'm going, where are tarantulas native to? And it's like, ah, yes, California and Arizona and Texas. So, not Texas, I think I can say that they're, that they're, they're not there. But <laughs> she she's fun. Uh, I especially like it that, like, she gets killed by bug spray and a firework, and then the... Um, very American Psycho style jock. It's like, did you just fucking blow Sonya up? That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of our American Psycho, I saved him for last because I am unapologetically a stan of Robbie Amell. Yes, his people. (laughs) Oh my God. His performance as Max is like, we should be studying this in school. Like, it's so good. <laughs> so, Zero, I'll let you talk. How do you feel about <laughs> Robbie Amell as Max? Okay. Did you... Okay. Uh, quick, quick side note. Did you guys see Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City? Yes. Okay. So, he plays Chris Redfield, right? This... Uh-huh. The the Max character is what I wanted Chris Redfield to be <laughs> in Resident Evil so bad. Hell yeah, um, this guy punches just, boulders. This is this is a this is a himbo uh, appreciated podcast, and this was like peak himbo for me. It was perfect. Just that every you know twenty minutes you got to comment on why is this guy's shirt off. <laughs> it's just so it's it's so perfect. It's the perfect uh over the top jock archetype. And I actually did have a lot to say about this this character. Um cuz there's a lot of uh let's see um typical middle school high school um themes here usually pertaining to like sex and around sex. Um, there's that one scene in the beginning where it's like super close up makeout scene, mm-hmm. you know, all about Allison's boob and the motorboating and, you know, just basic hot babysitter shit. But then you have like this real, like intense erotic shit going on with Max, the character of Max and Cole, mm-hmm. almost like, um, it's almost a little like yaoi I don't know if y'all have dabbled yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so you know what I mean like the the you know the the very um uh hot 
older gentleman that you mm-hmm. know shows him the ropes of how to be a man, but it's low key very erotic. Um, and specifically, so right after um, Sonia gets blown up in the crawl space, they have this little heart to heart, right? And he's like, <laughs> still with his shirt off, like probably covered in blood at this point, you know, giving Cole. You know, the uh, kind of the big brother, like pep talk, like, you know, you can do it. You don't have to let people walk over all over you as the bullies right there. And it kind of seems like out of all of the the sexual uh, mid puberty adolescent themes here, the, the character Max is like almost the most sexually exploited character for some reason. Uh, that whole chase scene. And we got a lot of screen time with him. Um, like it was very playful and I'm like, okay, so at least the writer's room here is made of like equal opportunity perverts and not just like, <laughs> you know, the regular, regular mis- misogynistic man, the, the, the female gaze kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. we're getting everybody and then, you know, it's a weird time when you're, when you're, uh, at that impressionable age and everybody's hot yes. <laughs> at the same time. Oh, that's a perfect way to put it. Like, yeah, when you're in junior high, everybody is hot and threatening. <laughs> so, well, Harvey, how about you? Well, yeah, especially if they're pursuing you. You know, you're you're being almost hunted. It's kind of animalistic in that way. Mm, that's hot. That's yeah. really hot. Yeah. So, like, I didn't really think about it in that context, but it's like, oh, no, that's that's absolutely true. Because the way that they film B, where it's like, oh, look, she's got her long legs out the whole time and he you know and Cole's ogling her with with just absolute adoration to the point where I'm like I'm not even sure if it's sexual for him like he just he just is really infatuated with her as like an entity but like I think it's like romantic love for Cole like how he feels about B I think it's very romantic yeah I agree but like with Max it's like oh no the movie films him absolutely much more sexually explicit than it ever films her Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I guess I, I didn't even think about that, but like, it makes total sense. Yeah. He, if anybody in this movie is getting objectified, like with the exception, I would say of the kiss, like the kiss very much falls into yeah. um, like lesbian for straight boy tropiness, but it's very clear that like, that is intentional. Like B and Allison are doing that to set up Simon. Like that's mm-hmm. what's happening. Um, so like, I don't, you know, dislike that. I, it, it's, it's exploitation with a purpose. But mm. in terms of Max, like Max is like, this is a subversion of that trope. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to give you the eye candy. We're going to give you like the topless person running in the the misty woods of a slasher movie, but it's going to be the hunkiest man you've ever seen in your life. And <laughs> mm-hmm. that is so refreshing. And he, like, Robbie Amell is having the time of his fucking life in this movie. <laughs> he definitely was. <laughs> It's like you're being hunted by an Abercrombie model. Yo, oh my God, that's exactly it. One of of the best lines too. Oh, I'm not like the others. I came here to kill people. Yes, like... And like when we were watching it the second time around, we definitely had the like, oh, this this really is like Christian Bale. This is Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. But Mm -hmm. like as a teenage boy, like that's who this guy is, just running around shirtless. Mm -hmm being beautiful, like all American, 100 watt smile, uh, you know, flexing because he can, not wearing a shirt because he can, because look at him, why would he? Uh, yeah, he's great. And then, of course, you know, he he meets his demise, you know, kind of on his own shit. But what's weird is that 
it's because he was being nice because he did have this like little connection with Cole where he's like, don't worry, kiddo. I'm not going to let you die with egg on your face. And it's like, oh, you do like care about this kid's dignity that you're about to kill. Alas, it leads to your own death. And it's very brutal, mm-hmm. uh, very graphic. This movie is super graphic, too. Like, the deaths are very, very graphic. The the gore is really over the top, like, comedically over the top. And it's a very nice balance because horror comedies sometimes, I don't want to say, like, they skimp out on the gore, but it's either so huge that it is beyond comprehension, like something like a dead alive with Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. um, or it ends up being like a little bit more subdued, like Shaun of the dead. Whereas the babysitter, I feel like is the middle ground where like, there's lots of laughs, there's lots of fun, but the gore is like just over the top enough that it's funny. But some of it is still very much rooted in reality. Cause when he hangs and you see like his spinal cord kind of go through his neck, you're like, Oh, Oh no, that's how that would have worked. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yep, I get it. Mm-hmm. Netflix is learning. Netflix <laughs> has really been learning. Like, there's this one, and then also um, The Perfection was pretty gory oh, yeah. as well. Um, and then also uh, someone There's Someone Inside Your House mm-hmm. was also very gory. And mm-hmm. those are all, I think we can all call all of those teen horrors. Definitely, yeah. 100%. Um, and not not skimping out. So, okay, get, okay, Netflix, give the teens what they deserve. Just because they're <laughs> 17 doesn't mean they can't handle a spinal cord. <laughs> yeah. Who is this kid? She's an asshole. You egg your house a lot? Sometimes. So what are you going to do about it? What? I said, are you going to let that little punk come onto your property, your family's property, and disrespect you like that? No. Hell no. This is America. You need to wreck his ass. Are you kidding me? Get out there and crush that bitch. Go. Honestly, <laughs> um, if we're going to compare this to a movie, the one I would do is um, Better Watch Out. Which, oh, yeah. As like a horror comedy, like that is much more on the horror side than the comedy side. Like this is staunchly on the other side of that fence where it's like, oh, no, this movie is super silly. That one is quite dark. Yeah, and they do have like weird similar DNA too and that that movie also like obviously it's a it's a babysitting movie, but that movie also has like parents that are being played by character actors who show up to have some really good one-liners and then fuck off for the rest of the movie. Um so th- yeah, good call. Well, very also, much a good call. It's also because all the kills are like these home alone shenanigans of things that you build around your house. So yeah. they're all they're all practical, you know? That's very true. That's a very very good point. So we've gotten like our characters out of the way and we've been kind of touching in here about the theming of it because ultimately like this is definitely a teen movie about, you know, this this teen girl babysitter. But it's it's Cole's story and it's about him coming of age and sort of like learning how to stick up for himself and, you know, doing so by being put through the absolute ringer (laughs) because this poor kid is just getting put through hell and back. Um, So my question is. How the fuck does Cole survive this? If we're led to believe that he's like such this like little wimpy wiener, he's so pragmatic in this movie. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, so Zero, I'll start with you. Like, how do you, like, why do you think he gets to survive? Like, I don't even know if why is the right word. Um. Well, my answer is love the movie, but you know, all the stupid humor and just general nonsense leaves the movie to be pretty surface level stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it like this movie insists on 
being, I guess, what it is at face value. Um, so I did have that thought, but in order to preserve my initial interpretation of the movie, I'm just like, I'm I'm not going to think that hard <laughs> because I'm not going to be like Joe Schmo on Twitter who's like, I didn't get the meaning because <laughs> I don't think it really matters here. So let me not even go there. I think that's totally fair. Like suspension of disbelief, like that's what you have to take with this movie is this is it's it's a cartoon like the, this is a very cartoony movie it kind of operates under cartoon logic but then because it is set in reality we get the things like the spinal cord coming out of the neck when you hang somebody or the explosion in the in the basement doesn't just have Sonia walking out with you know her face her hair blown out and like soot all over her face from the explosion like it's Daffy mm-hmm. Duck or something like no she dies like that's <laughs> that's how that works Bella Thorne gets her head blown completely off <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's how that works uh, Harmony how about you um, well I have two things I think on this because like I didn't really think about this until you asked the question and I'm like oh good I'm glad that I didn't have to answer first because I did not have an answer <laughs> but um I mean he win he wins because he's lucky like they either die because of like dumb luck or because they kill each other and at the most like he attempts to hit B with a car flying through the air but he doesn't she lives so he's mostly just like I, I guess winning because of dumb luck and teen hubris so mm-hmm. that that's part of it also like as far as how this all goes um I, I like that the kills and like how this mo- movie is set up is just like the basic fundamentals of joke telling where it's it's sort of Shaun of the Dead where it's like, cool, here's a thing that's introduced in the movie and now it will come back later in a different context. But this one, it's like, no, we're not going to be that smart about it. It's going to be like the mo- it's going to be like a prop comic where it's like, here's the thing. Here's a joke. OK, moving on. It's like set up punchline so quick and easy and it's just it's very concise and I think that's why the movie moves so fast and why I don't even question like oh yeah he lived because B shot Bella Thorne in the fucking head like I didn't even process like he didn't do anything I just was like yeah no the movie's just it's just going one two one two one two over and over again Mm -hmm. that's a really good point and they do sort of play with those expectations as well like you know we see in the beginning where he's you know playing with his little car that he's made with a knife and dad's like, no, I'm going to put this in the dishwasher. Like what the hell's wrong with you? And then, you know, later on when he's like, Oh, I got to fight in this kitchen against Bella Thorne. Where's the knife. And then he goes to look for it. It's not there. That's when we get to, you know, cut to sad hand job, come back. And <laughs> by that point, Bella Thorne has found the knife. Cause it's in the knife block where it's supposed to go. Cause mom mm-hmm. put the knife where it belonged. Um, so they play with those expectations where, you know, for a half second, we're like, Oh, he's going to get the knife from, from the dishwasher. And it's like, no, you're not. You're not getting that. So they even kind of do a little misdirection there, um, which I think is I think it's very smart. I think that for as dumb as this movie is, the script is really smart in how it is put together. Like every scene has a purpose. Like when we're introduced to Cole, it's him being afraid of getting a shot at school and the needle is freaking him out. And then later on, you know, they go to take his blood and he has to pretend to be asleep while being terrified of needles. And like everything has a purpose. Like there is not a scene in this movie that's wasted, which is also why it's a brisk, you know, 85 minutes because they get in and they get their shit done and they get out. And I'm just so appreciative of that. Yeah. Same. Honestly, there's something that can be said about writing something really smart. That's really stupid. 
Um, like, I listen to a lot of 80s hair metal. So does BJ. It's maybe the dumbest genre of music ever, and that's fun. <laughs> but everyone wanted to write, like, the biggest, dumbest party song and have it be, like, super fun and everyone love it and it be a hit and make lots of money. But, you know, if it was that easy to write, like, a dumb, fun song, we would have a million of them. And it, like, you see good examples of, like, big, dumb party songs. Like, Andrew W.K. makes it look effortless. But then you see someone else try to do something like he does. And it's like, oh, no, it's actually really hard to do something this stupid and simple. Because mm-hmm. it exposes itself if you do a bad job. Definitely. And I wanted to circle back to something that we were talking about a little bit at the beginning. But, Zero, you had mentioned, like, not liking to call yourself a critic because you like movies that are quote unquote bad. So I would love if you could explain why that is. Cause I'm very similar. Like I love a a movie that I know the rest of the world thinks is bad, but I love it. So what is it about this, like this type of movie that like draws you in? I mean, I I'm loving the fuck off movie and (laughs) I am realizing now how important these types of movies are to me. Um, also just you know people who have attention issues mm-hmm. which i know mm-hmm. is like i'm definitely exaggerating i'm not a doctor but like damn near half of the world has adhd and if movies are going to be 2 hours you know we got to prepare ourselves mm-hmm. um so it's something about just like a short quick story that is able to take me out of reality is what i really look for in the horror fandom um it that i guess that's the most important part for me is the removing myself and you can really remove yourself even more when the story that you're immersing yourself in is that much more ridiculous than real life is you know what i mean so i I don't have to compare these things to my personal life and have a story you know, that that I need to in order to feel something or in order to understand what's going on in on the story. Sometimes you just need a break um, in oh, a yeah. mindless break at that. Um, Especially and, these you know, days. Absolutely. Yo, tell me about it. And sometimes it could be just a little bit of something. Um, not everything has to be a masterpiece. We watch movies for entertainment at the end of the day, and we like what we like. And I think that we are all adults, and the horror community should sometimes act like it. Um, and there's, and, you know, just um, admit that there are redeemable things in any movie, even if it sucks. Like, come on. People love the Spawn movie. That movie is terrible. The CG is so so bad. (laughs) It's ridiculous, but for some fucking peculiar ass reason, I keep coming back to that movie at least once a year, and I don't know why. I'm a little embarrassed to say it out loud, but something about it just makes me feel good. It's the one-liners. It's the the cheesiness of it. Even um, my co-hosts and I were talking about, y'all know Killjoy? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, there's like eight of those movies. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of them. <laughs> like, they're, they're speaking to somebody. And it's not, you know, it's not film critics or, or um, you know, criterion level people who make those decisions and, and, you know, what is art or not. You know, you can still find enjoyable things. For me, it was always, you know, 
the fourth Transformers movie where, <laughs> you know, we're not here for the plot. We're here to watch giant robots fight, which is something that I can't see in my day to day in my day to day life, excuse me. And mm -hmm. so will help me leave for lack of better words or like Godzilla, like nobody watches Godzilla movies for the plot or for like, you know, we come because we want to see something cool that we can't see in our day to day life and leave, mm -hmm. um, you know, up here in my brain. Um, and, you know, oftentimes you can't get that same extreme level of I need to be somewhere else right now um, with something that is, you know, logically makes sense or, you know, has all the holes fit in. Sometimes what I find is a lot of those types of movies will make me think about things in real life, which is what I really try to avoid when I mm -hmm. watch things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so for me, just like the crazier, the better. The crazier, the better, the easier it is for me to have feel some sort of escapism um and it's not that serious bro yeah i i feel the same way like my favorite horror franchise i mean chucky's getting up there because there's a show that's helping a lot but it's always been tremors and there's seven oh of those oh my god so good and so bad right like the fifth one and the sixth one are really really bad and i don't recommend them to anybody but like the other four are or no the other five are still really fun movies especially the seventh one which is really underrated but it's this thing where I, in in the horror sphere, like I totally understand what you're saying, where it's almost like I don't have the patience. I probably have ADHD, but it's, I, I can't sit there for a slow burn. I don't necessarily like art house films or like these long, like sort of pretentious films. Like I can get behind it if the story grabs me or the visuals grab me, but like it, it's difficult. It's a very uphill battle. But like I see a clip of something where it's like, a kung fu movie where two dudes are like having a martial arts fight with chainsaws and i go yeah i have to see this i want to watch that movie <laughs> like i i don't care how nice the lighthouse looks like that's fine but like that's <laughs> not what draws me in <laughs> no yeah just like bj said like there's a time and a place for everything um and not every time is i want to sit down and watch the witch Mm -hmm. and try to piece every little thing together no shade on the witch it was a really good movie but you know if you're hanging out with your girlfriends on the couch and you know having a couple drinky drinks i don't think that's going to be your go-to you want something that makes you feel fun or something mm -hmm. filled with action i like i will sit on my pedestal and i will defend the um the underworld franchise and the the original <laughs> resident evil movies with mila jovovich those are my jams and i own <laughs> all of them and i re-watch them often are they good movies fuck no but they're a hell of a good time and they make me feel good it's almost like watching a sports game you know oh yeah like when you yeah. sit on your couch and i know you guys do this because y'all live together just chilling at home just like screaming at the tv oh yeah all the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> if it gets some kind of reaction, then I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And so something else that I think is interesting to talk about in terms of the babysitter is like, so we name dropped the witch earlier. So the witch comes out in 2015. The year after the babysitter, we get hereditary. And mm -hmm. I think the one-two punch of the witch and hereditary, and this is no shade to, to Robert Eggers or Ari Aster. They make beautiful, fantastic movies. But horror has, for the last, like, five years or so, just been 
everything is about trauma. Everything is about sadness. And on one hand, it's good because it's forcing a lot of people to do some internal interrogation of their own feelings and recognize like what they may be carrying with themselves, what kind of healing they should probably be getting done. Uh, and like, that's a positive thing. But at the same time, it has kind of killed the fuck off movie. Mm -hmm. And after the last like two and a half, three years of this pandemic, we are in a desperate drought <laughs> of needing fuck off movies because I did nothing but sit at home and continue to do so for years. I have done my thinking. I have done my internal investigation. I have done my work. I need to fuck off. I cannot watch <laughs> another horror movie that is going to ruin my goddamn day and make me so sad and just so depressed that I don't want to move. Like, I need more movies like The Babysitter. And we're just we're not getting them as much. And luckily, like, Fantastic Fest just happened. There's been a lot of talk out of Fantastic Fest of movies that are genuinely fun. And I am so grateful and I can't wait for them to become more widely accessible because I think we're going to have, like, another cultural shift I really think that the pendulum is going to swing and we're going to get just like a lot of fuck off movies because everyone is so tired of the bleakness mm -hmm. of just everything has to be about something. And mm -hmm. not everybody is, is, is good at having a movie be about something. And I want to highlight Brian Duffield who wrote this movie because I think he's a guy who really understands how to do that. Mm -hmm. We will have an episode one day dedicated solely to Spontaneous. That was my favorite film of 2020, which is a movie about something. It really is about something. It's about grief and it's about, you know, gun violence in schools. But it's done through the vehicle of people spontaneously combusting, like people just fucking exploding. And it is got a lot of a similar energy to the babysitter where like it's very fun and it's very lighthearted. That movie has a little bit more of a message, but it, I never feel when I'm watching one of his movies that I'm being like hammered over the head of like, this is the message. This is the art. This is what you're supposed to take away. Like I can just enjoy it. And I think that like you can see a little bit of that in the babysitter when you have like Cole and, and B having their talk at the end where you even get Cole saying like, I don't need a babysitter anymore. Like he had this growth. He, he now does have a better perspective on the world. He's not such a scaredy cat. He's, he knows how to defend himself. He knows the importance of defending himself. Like these are all very positive things, but never once do I feel like watching when I'm watching the babysitter that there's a voice in the back of my head that's like, you know, this movie is about growth and, and growing up, right? <laughs> like, it just, it's so effortlessly woven into such, like, a ridiculous premise and, like, an absurd story. And, like, to me, that's the true talent, right? We talked a little bit about how hard it is to write something smart that's stupid. And, like, dude knows what he's doing, and he nails it. Love and Monsters is another one. Like, all of his movies kind of do this. Um, and that is Love, a skill. Love and Monsters. Just give that man more money. <laughs> like, he, of, of all the men to give money to, let it be that one. <laughs> yes. Like, he's not missing. He just keeps making fun movies. I'm a big yeah. fan. Yeah. I just, yeah. And I think, um, I don't know. Like, I like on Twitter, I... I you know, have branded myself as like the queen of dismissed cinema because I love defending movies that people shit on. It's one of my favorite things because you're right, Zero, there is value in everything, even if it's bad, like it means something to someone. Also like bad is subjective. Like what is, 
you know, trash to one person's treasure to another. And like, Mm -hmm. it's always going to be subjective. But I think that The Babysitter is one of those movies that like, if you just give yourself over to it, if you suspend that disbelief, it's such a good time to have. Like, it's not like, there's nothing in it that's like super offensive that's going to like set you out. Like, yeah, it's kind of gory. So if that's not your thing, you know, there's your heads up with that. But it's just an enjoyable movie about like the hells of being a teenager and the hells of going through puberty in a way that doesn't feel like an after school special. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Well, I think that this brings us to the end of The Babysitter. So, Harmony, the question is The Babysitter is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her a ticket so she can go on her own? You know, I, I absolutely love this movie. I think it's so much fun. I I don't know, since it came out, I think I've watched it like once a year since it came out and I still enjoy it. We most recently, like we fucked off with it recently because we had a friend over and we watched some drinks and she likes horror movies but can't watch them on her own and like gore freaks her out, but she had a great time with this and I I think there's something that can be said about a horror movie that's so good that people who are like actually scared or maybe not super into horror or can't handle horror that it can appeal to them i think there's something really really good about that so yeah no it's a it's a big yes i'm a huge fan i I love this uh maybe one day i'll see the sequel that i heard less good things about but you know what like if the third one comes out and it like comes back up then we'll have a nice little dip it's like a roller coaster then right (laughs) totally zero thank you so much for joining us and for bringing this movie to us because this has just been such a delight Mm -hmm. where can people find you your work your podcasts now is your time to shine Woo! um well thanks for having me guys um a big fan you viewers or uh listeners damn i'm not on twitch anymore listeners can find me on um Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook at IDK Gravity. I also have a podcast with my friends Sheree the Slayer and Brother Ghoulish called Blurdy Massacre on, you know, the spiel, wherever you get your podcast fix. Um, yeah, that's me. This was really fun. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it was so, so much fun. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> so glad we could have you. This was this was a great conversation. And yeah, listeners, if you are some of our, our core listeners who are also really big into spooky, because I know it's very strange because like I work in horror like year round and a lot of our listeners are not horror people. But if you are the subset of our fans that are horror people, like definitely check out Blurdy Massacre. Great show. You know, do do Thank the you. thing. Add it to your rotation. Um as always, friends, you can follow our show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, massive thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as a theme song. They have their new single out, The Star. Listen to it. It's thebomb.com. We love them so very much. And Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out this week inspired by The Babysitter? So it it was very enlightening finding out that the guy who uh, directed this also did stuff with Sugar Ray and The Offspring and Smash Mouth because I'm shouting out something that's kind of like that. Um, the band I want to shout out this week is Devin K and the Solutions and their album, Grieving Expectations. It's a really, really fun mixture of indie and punk and ska and like almost chiptune use of synthesizers, which is really tight. 
and it's it's what a current indie punk ska album is, which is really delightful music with like really sad lyrics sometimes. And it's just a re- it's it's a good listen. I I think it matches the energy of this movie. I think Cole is a dorky kid who's not that dorky, so I think he would dabble in this kind of music. So it's perfect. Beautiful. All right, friends, that takes us out. We'll see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.